Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, when you walked in, you saw a card on your seat. Uh, it says, each one reach one. How many people got last week's message? How many heard last week's message, yeah? Amen. How many of you guys saw Hyundai Santa Fe's this week, all throughout the week? Any of you guys? I got all these texts from people sending me Hyundai Santa Fe's that they saw on the road. But um, last week, we, uh, we talked about each one reach one. And the reason why we have cards on your seats again today is we told you last week that we would collect the cards that, um, that you filled out. We said we would put it up, but we realized um, even though we got hundreds from you guys, we, we realized some of you guys might have needed the week just to really pray about it and think about who that one person is that you want to engage and commit to reaching out to. And so today, after the message, the basket will come around. I want to encourage you throughout this message, if God lays that person on your heart and you didn't fill a card out yet, write your name, write their name, put it in the basket, and we're going to get it up. We want to collect them all at once so that we knew how to put it up in the best way possible, okay? And, and so that's what we were talking about last week. How can we engage and, and reach out to one person? And there's a lot of people that we know, but, but what can we do to pray for that person, maybe invite that person to church? Maybe go out to meals with that person, look for opportunities to really share our faith. Because we realize that the commission that Christ gave us is to go and make disciples. And, and we realize that there's this powerful multiplication effect that happens when each one of us goes and reaches one. And then that one can now go and then reach one who will then now go and reach one. We can seriously, literally reach the world for Jesus if we would be committed to this kind of discipleship. Now, as you're thinking about that, we don't want to move on too quickly from that idea. We really want to, to really drive this home. And, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that idea of reaching one. As you think about that one who you could reach and how to engage that person, today I want to share with you a principle that's been so impactful uh, for me I've, I've held on to this for over 14 years now, and I want to share it with you today um, as something to remember as you're ministering to that one person. I, I like the analogy of a chain, and I like how a chain really depicts a person's conversion to Christianity or a person's acceptance to Christ. And, and what I love about this analogy is if you would imagine you on one side of that chain and Jesus connected to the other side of the chain, and every link in this chain, I, I like to think of as, as an event or, or, or person or a circumstance, something that happened in life that was bringing you a little bit closer to a full acceptance of Jesus. Many of you guys in here who, who know Jesus, I'm willing to bet that in your life, if you reflect on it, there were a chain of events, chain of people or circumstances that brought you to a saving faith in Christ. Maybe as a kid, somebody brought you to church. Maybe you went to that Awana program. Maybe you were at VBS. Maybe you went to a retreat as a youth. Maybe someone brought to you to a harvest festival. Maybe someone brought to you an Easter service. Maybe there's a heartbreaking divorce in your life. Maybe you lost a loved one due to cancer. And with each event, each link, God was exposing to you more of who he is, revealing to you his character until one day you get to the end and you realize Jesus is the true and living God. He is my Lord and Savior and you accept him. And what I love about this analogy and this illustration, a couple reasons why I love this. For one, when you look at it, every link from God's perspective is the same. 
in the sense that no one link is more important or less important than the other. Every link is, in God's view, it is his pursuit, it is what he is using to pursue the one who is spiritually lost. I love this, that, that without one of these links, the chain wouldn't be complete. The chain wouldn't be whole. Every link is important. Every link is necessary. And what I also love about this analogy is that it reminds me, as I'm trying to reach out to this person and trying to, to bring them to Jesus, it helps remind me I'm not the only link. I'm not the only link. There are many links in the chain, and, and it also helps remind me that I, I might not always be the final link. I might be the first link. I might be the, the fifth link. I might not always be that final link. And some of you guys, you look at your life, you could testify, yeah, I've had links in my life. I can name five significant links, or some of you can name 15 significant links. Some of you guys, 50. And you, you look back and you see the hand of God in all these ways. God was pursuing your heart until he finally attained it and you gave your life to Christ. I want to encourage you guys today because sometimes we feel like it's up to us. Right? And my success depends on if this person says yes or no or, 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 or not. And, and there's this temptation to feel that pressure because if they don't say yes and I don't see people come to Jesus, then I feel like I've failed or I'm unsuccessful or I'm inadequate. And there's great discouragement in that. And I want to prove to you today that your role is more significant than you know. That God wants to use you as a link in a chain of another person. And that without your role, that chain may not be complete. So I want to turn you to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to show you how the links in a chain was able to save the worst of sinners. Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. If you have the, the program, which we call our Baywatch, it's all in there. Or you could go to our app, SBCC app, okay? I want to ask you to join me. Let's pray and let's come before the Lord. And God, I pray that right now you would help us to just really zone in to your word. I pray that you would take away all the things that are warring for our attention, for our mind, our thoughts, and our feelings. And I pray that, Lord, we would just surrender to you. We would lay it right here at your feet. And God, would you have your way in us? And God, I pray that as a church, you, you, would, you would move us and shake us, God. Again, we pray and beg that we would not just be a church that knows a lot of stuff, that knows what the Bible says, but help us to be a church that moves, that puts our faith in action. Help us to be a church that gets it and, and really believes in your commission to us to go and make disciples. And so, Lord, I pray this morning you speak to us powerfully, clearly. Pray that you keep on putting names on our hearts and fill us with encouragement and confidence to go and reach that one. God, I, I really want today's message to be successful and effective, but I pray that nothing today would be successful unless it is clear that it is your power and your might, your words speaking truth into us, your spirit working in us, that you, Lord, came, you taught us, and you spoke. So, Lord, we want to give this time to you. We ask for that kind of success. And so we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say, amen. Amen. When I... Um, 
went into college my freshman year. We moved into the uh, dorms there at UC Irvine, and, and in, in my dormitory, there's this suite, this common suite area, and it's surrounded by five rooms. I was in room 102B, and I met a lot of great friends that year. And in, in the room to my left, in room 102C, there are a couple guys, and one guy was this tall, lanky guy. Just imagine him in your head. He had this long, wavy brown hair. He had a full-on beard and full-on mustache, right? Who does he look like to you? Jesus, right? Everybody in the door was like, man, this guy comes straight out of the Bible. And so throughout the year, we literally called him Jesus. Like we call him Jesus. That's all we knew him as. And imagine all the stupid jokes that would, that would be dropped off the air. People would come by looking for him. Hey, is, is, is Jesus here? No. But be ready because Jesus is coming again. He'll return. Or, or is Jesus in his room sleeping? Oh, he's been sleeping for three days but he will rise again. It's just really dumb jokes, and, and this was who Jesus was, but ironically, Jesus was an atheist. Jesus was a self-professed atheist. He didn't believe in God, and so as, as the guy living next to me, man, we engaged in conversations. What I loved about this atheist was that he was really open to talking, he loved a good debate, and so, so we would sit, and I would share with him my faith and what the Bible says, and he would share with me his lack of faith and why he didn't believe, and we would go back and forth, back and forth, always open to talking, but never willing to be moved. And I would have these conversations with him, and I realized, man, this guy is a staunch atheist. And there were times that year where I concluded, how can Jesus be saved? I can't save Jesus. He is such a staunch atheist. It's impossible. That's my conclusion. To the room on my right was this small Chinese guy, big old glasses, really cool guy. Um, and he was the most amazing banjo player I've ever known. The only banjo player I've ever known. And he would just go crazy on his banjo. You could hear it through the walls. And so everybody in the dorms, we called him Banjo. That was his name. This is Banjo, right? And, and Banjo was really gifted, really intellectual, really smart. Um, that's why he ended up going to UCI. But, but he, 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 he was an agnostic. He wasn't an atheist like Jesus. He was an agnostic, meaning he was open to the to the possibility of a greater power. He did, just didn't know who he was or who they were. He was searching. And so I took that as an opportunity to share with him about the Christian faith, and we would engage in these conversations. And they were very intellectual conversations. And by conversations, I really mean monologues. He would really throw out at, at, at me these philosophical arguments, and he would use words that, like, half the time I didn't even know what they meant. And so I don't know if you guys have ever had a conversation with someone, and you just really had no idea what they were talking about. And you, I just sat there feeling dumb. Like, I, I really can't keep up with this guy. As often as I tried to share my faith, I felt like I had nothing to offer him that would move his heart because I just, I just could not engage with someone who was so much smarter than I was. And I concluded many times that year, I can't save Banjo. I can't save Banjo. How can he be saved? He's way too smart. It's impossible. 
Now, out of all the friends I met in that suite that year, the closest to me in that suite was the guy right across the suite in room 102E is this Filipino Catholic guy named Ryan. You know what we called him? Ryan. That was his name. We called him Ryan. And so Ryan was actually a Roman Catholic And I thought out of all these people, the one I could influence the most to really walk with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus was Ryan. Why? Well, because he was a church-going, mass-attending Catholic. And yet I look at his life, and he was probably the furthest away from Jesus. He looked nothing like Jesus. I mean, he was always bragging about his porn collection. He was extremely crude, perverted, wild, and he was just straight-up worldly. Nothing like Jesus. And I thought, if anybody I can influence, I can influence him because at least he believes there's a Jesus. And yet, as I got to know him throughout the year, and I I would invite him to our college Bible study and our fellowship, and I would try to, to be a good influence in his life and share my faith with him, I realized, man, I think Jesus, the atheist, and Banjo, the agnostic, probably had a better chance of giving their lives fully to Christ than than Ryan. And I concluded, how can he be saved? How would he ever truly give his life to Christ? It's impossible. I wonder if any of you guys have those people in your life where you look at them, and, and maybe that's the one that, that you wrote on your card. I, 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 I want to save this person and bring them to Jesus, but it's never going to happen. And you kind of wrote it with, with this sense of doubt. Or maybe that person is so, so hard that you didn't even write them. Because he, he can't be saved. She can't be saved. So I'm not even going to put them down. I'm going to put somebody who's more likely to be saved. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Well, if there's anybody in the Bible, in the New Testament, whom people back then would say, he would never give his life to Christ. It is impossible. I would place my bets on this Pharisee named Saul. A Pharisee, infamous Pharisee named Saul. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the end of the story. This guy named Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament. This guy who turned the world upside down with the gospel of Christ. That's who he became. But before he became this gospel-sharing, soul-saving servant of Christ, Paul was Saul, this Christian-crushing, believer-bashing persecutor of the faith. And so I want to show you the links in the chain in Acts chapter 9 of how God was pursuing even the worst of sinners. And so here we go, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It starts off like this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. 
Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You could pause right there. And so this, this infamous Pharisee named Saul, as a Pharisee, he was a highly ranked religious leader, had influence and power, and he was so zealous for Judaism, the religion of the Jews, that he was going out of his way to persecute people who called themselves Christians. And yet, a light struck him. Here's the first link in the chain. Would you guys write this down in your notes? The first link, a light blinded him. A light blinded him. And so here's Paul with an agenda and with a plan, and in a moment his plans are changed. His agenda is adjusted when this light blinds him. Right, he, he's completely disoriented. Imagine, imagine you're him, you're walking along, you're like struck down, you're thrown to the floor, you can't see anything, and you hear this voice calling out to you, telling you it's Jesus. And then when everything kind of dissipates and, and, and the light goes away, you get up and you realize, I once could see, but now I am blind. How's that for a testimony? I once could see, but now I am blind. That's not the kind of testimony that makes a person fall in love with Jesus. That's not a kind of testimony that goes, Jesus, you, you made me blind. I love you. I will give my life to you. And yet this physical setback was the link in the chain. And isn't it true that for many of us, when we are, we, when we are set back, right, we have these these physical setbacks, we have this suffering or we have this sickness or we have this, this loss or this grief, this, this unemployment. What's our natural reaction? We wanna shake our fists at life and we shake our fists at God. That doesn't cause us normally to fall in love with Jesus. It actually causes us to question him. God, why are you doing this? Why me? Why now? What's the good in this? And some of us will start to question even God's existence. God, are you even real? Because a good God would not do this, and he surely wouldn't do it to me. And yet, on hindsight, we see that sometimes these setbacks are what God is using to propel us to a place so much further and so much better than we had ever imagined. And for Saul, this light blinding him was a link in the chain that was a setback, and yet it wasn't going to show that God didn't exist. It was to do the opposite, to prove that he does exist. In fact, not just God, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I was talking to a, um, a pastor friend this week, and we were just talking about setbacks and how sometimes we have plans, but we're, we're pulled back from the things we wanted to do, the things we've dreamt of. We have these setbacks, maybe it's suffering. And yet he has such great insight. He says, yeah, sometimes we're pulled back and we're set back, but, but it's kind of like a slingshot. And sometimes the, the further we're pulled back from what we've always wanted to do and, 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 and the longer we're held back, at just the right time, sometimes God will release us when the time is right and we will land in a place so much further than we imagine because we're so much more effective. Now we'll have greater impact because sometimes it's in that place where God pulls us back that he's refining our character. 
Sometimes it's in that place where he's hammering out our kings. Sometimes it's that place where he's going to speak to us in, in that suffering. He's going to show us and reveal us the, 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 the nature of our hearts and our character. And when we are ready, God will release us like a slingshot. I thought that was so good. And we look back on our life and we realize that God is, God is up to some good. He knows exactly what he's doing. I happened to read an article this past week on DesiringGod.org, and if you're familiar with that, that's John Piper's ministry, and there was this article, caught my attention, it it was titled, When Injury Interrupted My Idolatry. When Injury Interrupted My Idolatry is written by this guy named Landry Fields. Landry Fields was a starter for the New York Knicks. Uh, Here's a picture of him, and and he, he said in this article, I've always had a God, and I've always lived according to a gospel. He said the NBA was my God. And he said the gospel was this promise of love and, and, and wealth to those who are popular and gifted. And if I could just keep up my game and keep improving my game, I will experience the love and wealth that the NBA promises. And then he said in this article, God began to challenge all of that. He says, because I, I, I suffered these season-ending injuries, and he called it in, in his article, he called it the unholy trinity, an injured elbow, an injured hand, and then an injured hip, and he was pulled out. He was pulled out of the game, and he, he, season after season after season had to, had to sit out because of these injuries. And he says, there are days when I'm sitting in my suffering and and in these injuries, there are days where I literally couldn't do anything. There are days I could barely pick up my phone. And he fell into despair. And he says, there are days when all I could do was read. And so I began to read the Bible. And he says, when I came to the book of James, and I'm reading the book of James, he says, "I, I saw that God was revealing to me what true faith looks like. What real faith looks like, faith in action, and it looked nothing like the gospel I was living according to. And as God was revealing to him what the true gospel looks like, his suffering was revealing to him this false gospel that he always lived for. One that could never truly save, never fill him with joy. One that was dependent on his performance. And here's what he wrote in that article. I'll show you a little clip of this article. It says this. He said, suffering has made the gospel real to me. And God will use suffering to make the gospel real to you too. If you're going through something painful or difficult, it doesn't mean that God isn't paying attention or doesn't care. It means God wants to win you to true faith in him, a better hope in his salvation, and deep humility and joy in his grace. That's the testimony of a guy who who is no fake. This is for real because Landry Fields never permanently returned to the NBA. And this is something he worked his whole life toward. He wanted this, this goal of being in the NBA and it was cut short after only five seasons. He retired, hung up his jersey. And yet he will tell you that this setback propelled him so much further than he imagined, propelled him toward the true and living God, propelled him into the true gospel. And he will tell you, this struggle was real. The struggle was real. But the joy is now real. And this physical setback was a link in his chain, leading him to a life change in Jesus. 
Paul, or Saul at the time, is blinded by this, this light, and it was a setback. And I want to show you that it was to a link in a chain that's going to lead him to Jesus. Was it the only link? No, there, there's a couple more. So we go on in the story. Pick it up from verse 7. Verse 7, it continues and says, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Would you guys write this down for the second link? The second link is this. His friends walked with him. His friends walked with him. And so Saul's now he's, he's standing here and he's completely blind. And he's stranded and he's helpless and he has no idea where to go now. If anything, he just has to turn around and go back to a place he's familiar with. But by God's sovereignty, he's got friends with him. He's got these companions who, verse 8 says, they led him by the hand into Damascus. You might want to underline that line. They led him by the hand into Damascus. Now that is more significant than we realize. That little detail is more significant than we realize. Why? Well, because without them, he would have never made it into the place where the Holy Spirit of God wanted to meet him. And check this out. These guys weren't Christians. They were persecutor of Christians. They were traveling along with Saul to Damascus to persecute Christians. They were not Christ's followers. But that day, they were Christ's instruments. And that's how sovereign God, our, our, our God is. He can use whoever and whatever he wants as links in people's chains to lead them to Jesus according to his purposes. Sometimes God will use people, friends, strangers, believers, unbelievers. Sometimes he will use people to help physically bring an unbeliever to a place where the Spirit of God will want to meet them, to a place where Jesus will be revealed. In 2004, uh, a guy from New Jersey named Mike came over and moved to the South Bay. And at that time, I was attending a church in Palos Verdes, and that was my home church. And I met this guy. He was an atheist. And the first day I met him, he, he made it very clear, I'm an atheist. In fact, he called himself an atheist evangelist. I mean, he is one telling people why this is the way to go, why this is a good belief. And uh, I, I offered Mike, I said, hey, I, I'm willing to give you rides to church if you're willing to go. Every Friday we have, we have Bible study, every Sunday we have church, and surprisingly, he took me up on that. Now, I was living in Torrance. He's living north of me in Lawndale, and church was south of me in Palos Verde. So even though church is in the South Bay, I would drive about 15 minutes to go pick him up, and then about 25 to 30 minutes to take him to church every Friday and every Sunday. It took me sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes an hour just to get to my own church in the South Bay. But, but if he was willing to go, I was there. Well, fast forward eight years, 2012. Mike writes me this email, and I still have it saved in my, my email box. But here's a portion of that email. He says this. I'll put it up for you. He says, I'll keep it short, but I was just thinking a little bit about these eight plus years of my life, and it was just remembering how much love you have poured out to me. To this day, whenever anyone asks me for a ride, and I don't particularly feel like offering it to them, I remind myself of how you used to always pick me up and take me to and from church. I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to meet you and have you as a brother 
as I establish the foundation of my identity in Christ. I had no idea what an eternally significant and important investment it was just to simply give him a ride to church. I have heard him share that testimony multiple times in public spaces and in private conversations, and he always references, Greg gave me rides to church. That didn't save him, but I had no idea it would be a link that would lead to his eternal salvation. It was a link in the chain. I want to encourage you, church, you may not feel comfortable preaching to a person, but maybe you can help bring them to a place where the gospel is being preached. Maybe you have that ability, you have a car or you have a license or you have some means where you can offer rides to a per- for a person. Maybe it's not just taking them to church where the gospel is preached. Maybe there's a, a retreat going on. Maybe it's an invitation to your life group or Bible study with your life group's permission. Maybe you have an extra ticket to a Christian concert and you're wondering who you should bring. How about your one? How about your one? The one that's been on your heart. And perhaps God wants to use you as one who will physically bring a person to a place where Jesus wants to reveal himself where the Holy Spirit of God wants to meet them. We see for Saul, I really believe that this was a link in the chain because first a light blinded him. But thank God his friends walked with him. And they lead him into Damascus where I believe we see the third chain, the link, third link of the chain. And here's how it goes. We pick up in verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Stop right there. Would you write this down as the third link? The third link in the story, a stranger spoke to him. A stranger spoke to him. So after this light blinds him and his friends walk with him into Damascus, here in Damascus, Saul gets a vision of a guy named Ananias. And at the same time, Ananias gets the vision of a guy named Saul. Ananias and Saul have never met each other. They're complete strangers. Saul has no idea who Ananias is, but Ananias totally knows who Saul is. I mean, every Christian knows who Saul was. He was infamous. He was a guy who has come here to persecute people like me. Like if I, if I go to him, he will throw me into jail. I could get killed for my faith. And so he protests. He protests and he says to Jesus, verse 13, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And so he's like, God, I, I, I'm not your guy. I cannot go. I'm dead meat if I go. And yet praise God that in God's sovereignty, finally Ananias got it and he obeyed. As scared as he was, he obeyed the call of God. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, on Saul, he said, brother Saul, Saul, 
The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. He rose and was baptized. And it wasn't until this third and final link, until a stranger spoke to him, that Saul finally saw. He finally saw Jesus is Lord. That the Jesus who spoke to me and appeared to me on the road, and on the way to Damascus, is this Jesus who has sent this stranger to me so that I would see that he is pursuing me. Jesus Christ is Lord. How is that for a testimony? I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see, not just with my eyes, but now with my heart. How do we know he truly believed? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went and got baptized with water, and in that he's confessing his faith. Jesus Christ is Lord. I once was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. Ironically, because of three links in the chain. Sometimes God will use a stranger to speak to that one. Maybe, maybe this is one that you have been praying for and you've been spending money, having meals with this person, going out of your way, bringing them to church. You, you've, been, you've been trying to study the Bible with them, sending them your devotions, and, and, and time after time, nothing seems to move them. Maybe more than a year. Maybe you've been praying for this person for 12 years. Maybe for 20 years and nothing seems to move them. And who knows, one day God might send a stranger and in five minutes this stranger says everything you've always said. And in those five minutes, that one, that one's heart changes. We might not always be the final link. I love Pastor James. He gave an analogy he says it's kind of like a rock with a gem inside, a, a, a crystal inside, and you could hit that thing 99 times, and it's not breaking, it's not busting. Somebody else comes with a hammer, hits it on a 100 time, cracks open, treasure comes out. Was it that 100th hit that broke the rock? No, every hit mattered. Every hit was breaking the rock. That 100th one happened to be the one. And in the same way, you could be ministering to that one, and God's going to use a stranger. And yet on the flip side, if you would be available and sensitive to the Lord's leading, maybe you're the stranger that some other person has been prayed over and poured into for years upon years, and you came along, and you're obedient, and you just shared what God put on your heart to share. I have a, a missionary friend a couple in Geneva, Switzerland. Their names are John and Meg Glass. But we, we had the privilege years ago, Monica and I and some friends from my old church, we got to go visit this couple in Switzerland and um, just doing amazing work in Geneva and in France, a spiritually dead portion of the world. And his testimony is amazing. If you go online, you just type in uh, five minutes, one verse, and a bit of courage you'll hear John Glass's testimony. But here's what he says. He says, in 1976, in 1976, I was my first year in college at Syracuse College, and I just wanted to have fun. And so he drops out of school, he buys a plane ticket, and he goes to Switzerland. 
And he says, I just started traveling the world. He says, I went through countries like, I, I went through Geneva, I went through Germany, I went through Yugoslavia, I went to Istanbul, I went to Israel, I went through Jerusalem, and then I ended up in India. Six months of traveling, just smoking hashish, and, and just having the time of my life, going to Greece, trying to get a tan, just living it up. And he comes to a point, he says, man, I smoked up all my hashish, and I realized there has got to be more than this. All my hashish is gone and all my joy has run out. And here he is. He says, I'm on Janpath Street right there in New Delhi, India. He said, I already bought a ticket because I was ready to go home. But on that day, on November 2nd, 1976, I'm there. I'm, there's tons of Indians in that city. But then there's this one Dutch guy. This one guy from Holland, apparently, he found out later. And he's handing out papers. Handing out papers and turn out to be little gospel tracts. But, but as John went up, he bumps into this, this guy from Holland. And the guy says, hey, would you want to share a Coke with me? He says, sure. So they go and buy a Coke and they sit down. And he says, right there, the guy pulls out a Bible. And he says, John, this is the most important book the most sold book in all of history. He said, you owe it to yourself to know at least one verse in it. And John goes, okay. And he said, that was the most fatal okay I've ever said. See, because that guy brought him to this one verse, John three sixteen, and he read it to him. And he said, John, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved John that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, John, you have a choice today, right here, right now. If you ask the God who, who created you, who, who loves you, to come into your life, he will forgive you of your sins. If you would confess and repent, he will forgive you of all your sins, and you will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. What's your choice, John? And John eventually says, I know I'm a sinner. He's like, after these six months, I've, I've, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize I need more in this life. And so he prays with him right there on Jan Path Street. He asks the Lord to come into his life to forgive him of his sins. And he says, as I prayed that prayer, he said, I knew that something eternally significant happened in that moment. That all my sins, past, present, and future were forgiven. And that the God who created me came into my life. And that I would be forever changed. He said, amen. He said, thank you. And he said, goodbye. And in this testimony, they, they parted ways. They went their ways. And here's the part of John's testimony that I love. He says, I have no idea what that guy's name was. I have no idea whatever happened to him. He has no idea whatever happened to me. He was a stranger, a stranger. That blows my mind, because I know what happened to John. I know John. What, what that Dutch guy doesn't know is that John returned to the States. He enrolled in the master's seminary, started attending John MacArthur's church, 
felt a call on his life, John MacArthur and his church sent him out to be missionaries in Geneva, Switzerland, and in France, spiritually dead, spiritually dark area of Europe, and now he's planning a church that plants churches, that plants churches, that plants churches. In other words, he's making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This stranger has no idea. And I kind of look forward to the day when I'm in heaven and I get to meet this man and I see the look on his face when he meets soul after soul after soul of people that he impacted, lives that he helped save because he was a link in John's chain. That's amazing. Guys, we have no idea how God is sovereignly preparing a person for salvation. We have no idea. And so will you be faithful to be a link in the chain? God might use that one, that one, and he might want to blind them. He might want to use friends to walk with them. He might want a stranger to speak to them. Or he may use an entirely separate chain of events or people, circumstances. Maybe it's a, a, a sickness that they'll have to endure. Maybe it's the loss of a family member. Maybe it's a championship ring. Maybe it's a brand new friendship at work. Maybe it's a car accident. Who knows, but God is so sovereign. Here's what I've come to learn. First Corinthians chapter th- three. Verse five and seven, this has become like a life passage for me, especially when it comes to ministry. But here's the bottom line. God is ultimately the one who changes the heart. And in Corinth, people were were fighting about who is the greater leader. I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Paul. He's better. And here's what Paul says in verse five. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What's he saying? He's saying, who, who's Apollos? Who's, who's Paul? Just links in a chain. Because ultimately it's God who changes the heart and saves the soul. He will be the one to draw the person to him. We just gotta be links. We just gotta be available for God's using. Now after my uh, freshman year there at UC Irvine, the way it works is after your first year, most people just kinda move out and move into apartments and so we kinda all went our ways. All those friends I met, we, we kinda went our ways. So I said, I said farewell to Banjo. I walked away from Jesus, right? What kind of pastor walks away from Jesus, me? And so we, we kind of went our ways. And one of the friendships that I, I maintained was the one with the Catholic guy, Ryan. Because we moved in with each other. And uh, we became roommates for the next couple years. And I, I, I'll tell you why I did, why I moved in with him. Because out of everybody, I wanted to see Ryan reached. I wanted, he was like my one. In a sense, I wanted to see him truly know Jesus. So I wanted to keep ministering to him. Fast forward, it's like my fourth year, 
final year at UCI, final quarter, down to the final weeks of my time at UCI. We're about to get out of there. And I'm on campus, and I was in the, in the art section of campus, which I'm never in. I, I just happened to be walking through it that day, and I'm walking, and guess who I see? Jesus. I see Jesus. I couldn't miss him. He had his long, wavy brown hair, full-on beard, full-on He looks the same. Jesus, I'm telling you guys, he's unchanging. He was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so he, I'm like, Jesus, how are you doing? And so we're just catching up. I'm like, I can't believe I haven't seen you since freshman year. And we're, 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 we're telling each other what happened through the years and what we've gone through. And then he drops this bomb on me. Jesus, the atheist, tells me that day on campus, he says, Greg, I accepted Christ. <laughs> Jesus believes in Christ? Jesus is a Christian? He's like, yeah. I'm like, shut up. Like, I told Jesus to shut up, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, seriously. And he says this. He says, thank you. I appreciate those conversations we had. He says, that was helpful. Thanks for being patient with me. I said, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah. I, I go to church right here in Irvine. I'm in a Bible study group. And I, I, I'm telling you, I was speechless. Because I remember that time when I used to think, how could he be saved? It was impossible. The next week, I'm on campus. Like, literally, about to graduate and get out of there. I'm on campus. Guess who I run into? Banjo! Banjo! And Banjo's on campus. Remember the, the little Chinese agnostic guy? I'm like, this is crazy. It was like God was being gracious to let me meet all these friends that I had met before just to say hi to, and, and bye to them one more time. I'm like, Banjo, I can't believe it. I just, you know, we're catching up. I'm like, this is so crazy. I just ran into Jesus last week. I just ran into Jesus, and, and we're talking, and, and, and it got to a point where I said, Banjo, I don't know if you care, and I don't know if you know. Jesus used to be an atheist, and we were talking last week, and he told me he's a Christian. He accepted Christ. You know what Banjo says to me? He goes, oh, I know. We carpool the church together. <laughs> you, you go to his church, he's like, yeah, I'm in his Bible study group. could he be saved he's way too smart how could he be saved it was impossible the year finally ended and guess what happened to Ryan nothing nothing and that broke my heart the most because out of everybody I wanted to see truly saved, it was Ryan. He was the one I poured out to. He was the one I moved in with. He was the one I kept on pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And as we graduated, nothing happened in his heart. And that broke my heart. Two years later, I'm like in this public place and I'm checking my email. And there's all these people around. I get this email from Ryan. This long email. And basically what he's telling me, he says, Greg, last night I talked to my aunt on the phone. She's a Christian for two hours. And she's just talking with me through stuff. She said, Greg, after I hung up the phone, I got down on my knees. He says, for the first time in my life, I truly confess my sins and ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you, I'm there in public, and I was ugly crying. 
I mean, ugly cry. I mean, just like, not even tears. Like, I was sobbing, hyperventilating. And I did not care. People were walking by wondering what the wor- in the world is wrong with this guy. I didn't care. It was worth it. My friend found Jesus. He found Jesus. And to tell you it wasn't any fluke, he went on years later to attend the seminary that I graduated from. He went on to be the elder of his church. And when he called me a couple months after that, that email to invite me to his baptism, he says, Greg, will you be there? I said, of course I will be there. I said, Brian, I'm still in shock. I never thought you would be saved. And here's what he said to me on the phone. I, I had no idea. He says, Greg, I break it down like this. My Christian aunt had that long conversation with me. My Christian cousin was consistently praying for me. Dr. Vaca at the hospital would explain the gospel to me, and Greg showed me Christ's love. And I was like, who are all these other Christians? I could have sworn I was the only Christian in your life. In my mind, I was the only link, and I had to be the final link. And as he explained all those people to me, I told him, literally, I used these words. I said, Ryan, we were all just links in the chain. We were all just links in a chain. And so church, I pray that as you continue to pursue your one, as each one reaches one, that you will do everything you can to be available, to be a link in their life, and yet remember that God is the one, the only one, who could change a heart and save a soul. And so we'll we'll leave it into the hands of a sovereign God as we do our part. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow with me? I want to, before we close, I want to make an invitation. Because I'm realizing maybe somebody is here and today this was the final link. And maybe somebody invited you you're realizing right now as John 3 16 says for God so loved the world for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and that's the promise that Jesus was given to you so that you would be forgiven of everything you've ever done and you ever will do so long as you believe Jesus Christ is now your master your Lord and your Savior Now we're called to repent and turn from our old life to now walk with him, relying on him to keep on changing us from this day forward. If that's you, if you believe, if you believe that God loves you and he's given you Christ to forgive you of your sins, I want to ask you, I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to pray out loud. I just invite you, would you just pray in your heart? as if you were talking to God yourself and confess a faith like this. Father God, I believe. I believe that I'm here by no accident. I believe that you loved me as John 3, 16 says, that you loved me so much you gave me Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that my sins could be forgiven. So thank you, God, for having mercy on me. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. 
And so now I walk this day asking you to be in my life, to help me to walk with you. Continue to change me from the inside out. I give my heart and my life to you. Thank you for giving me eternity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.